partiality has no place in the church. Actually, in the next point here, to show partiality is really to miss the whole point of who God is. James himself wrote this letter to a very, very divided people. That it was a world filled with prejudice and hatred based on class, an eth ethnicity, nationality, and religious background. It doesn't sound all that much different than the world that we live in today. You start to see that most Christians basically, statistically speaking, look a certain way. But there are two things that you can basically do with that piece of information. You can ignore it or you can take a look at yourself and you can ask yourself, is, is my partiality to blame for some of this? Am I living my life in such a way where people who don't look like me don't want to hear what I have to say about Jesus? This is essentially James saying, hey, when you see somebody who has a need to just say, um, well, uh, good luck. I'll pray for you. God bless you. Um, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Uh, we got to get away from that. Like we are the hands and feet of God. It's really time for the people of God to stand up and provide for people where they can. If you really have a true faith, then your life should sort of naturally manifest in working for the Lord. These two have to go together. They have to go together like peanut butter, which we'll call faith, and jelly, which we'll call works. They have to go together because peanut butter and jelly is delicious. Peanut butter, again, faith, might try out some chocolate from, from time to time. We'll call chocolate wisdom. Like sometimes as Christians, uh, we just like to, we don't like to do anything. We just like read our Bible and we learn new, new cool things about Jesus, uh, but we never actually do anything. And just like peanut butter and chocolate, uh, that's going to make you a fat Christian. Some people try to get to heaven just with the jelly all by itself. Jelly by itself is empty and hollow. It's You're missing something. You've got to have jelly with some. The perfect thing to have it with is, is peanut butter. So um, these two have to go together uh, in order for it to be perfect. All right, welcome to week three of Zoom Through the Bible. Thank you for being with us, whether you're here in the Zoom with us to interact with us on it, or you're watching on Facebook. Very much appreciate you taking some time out of your week to be a part of this study. Uh, we are very excited that we get to do this and again, leverage the technology to be able to get God's word out. Um, there's another way to be able to get this study. Uh, I do provide these recaps um, every week, uh, just as a starting point, just to kind of orient ourselves from where we were and kind of where we're going. Um, but thanks to uh, Noah's tireless efforts. We are now available as a podcast. Uh, so um, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, which I think everybody says anywhere you get your podcast, but doesn't everybody get their podcast from Apple or Spotify? Like, I think that's, that's basically uh, how everybody gets it, but it's out there um, and it's really exciting. All you have to do is search Zoom through the Bible and you'll find it. 
We also, uh, if you didn't know, have it available for our Sunday morning uh, uh, studies that Chris does with us. Uh, they're being put out. So if you if you just search, and I think I got this right, if you just search Freedom Church AZ, you'll get both. Is that right, Noah? <laughs> that mute button, it's tough. It, it is tough. Actually, uh, it, if you just search Freedom Church Buckeye, it, it'll Church Buckeye. come up. And actually, if you search, like, if you have Spotify, I'm a Spotify user. I use, like, my podcast and everything goes through there. But um, if you just search uh, Freedom Church Buckeye on Spotify, actually, both our Sunday morning sermons and Zoom Through the Bible show up in the search. So it's really cool. Perfect. So... If you want to catch up uh, more exhaustively and listen to the whole thing, you can do it on all your favorite 1.5 speeds. I'm yet to listen to myself at 1.5 speed, but I'm sure that sounds that sounds a whole, a whole lot of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, that's available, and we're really, really, really excited about that. So tonight we will be in James chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter three. I have some additional scriptures here, and I'll ask for some volunteers to uh, read um, these when we get to that point. I have Proverbs 18, 21, 16, 24, and then 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. I know, three verses. That one's only the brave. We'll take that one, I'm sure. Uh, but do I, can I get a volunteer for Proverbs 18, 21? Cat, okay, thank you. And 16, 24. Anybody, anybody? Noah, thank you. And then 2 Timothy. Lindsay, thank you very much. All right, I'll call on you guys as we get to that area. So let's jump in uh, for James chapter 3. Let me see here. Make sure I have the right one. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So that is our first little section here, and I have titled that here on our note slide, A Warning for Teachers. And that is that the first thing that we really need to know and what James is telling us there is that it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody to become a teacher. And that's okay. There are many, uh, we are the body of Christ and the body has many different body parts. And so a teacher is just one of the body parts of that body of Christ. And so if you're not supposed to be a teacher, and when I say supposed to be, I mean between yourself and God, supposed to be a teacher, that's okay. But the point is that not everybody is meant to teach the word of God to the people of God, to the bride of Christ. Um, unfortunately, too many times uh, this spot of teaching any section of the church is number one offered too lightly Uh, too many times pastors give their pulpits and churches to their son 
or their family member because they want to see them do it. Um, that shouldn't be happening. Too many times uh, people are given the authority to teach simply out of desperation from the church. The church is just desperately grabbing at any help that they can get. So they allow people just because of that to have the authority to be able to teach uh, members of the church. And it shouldn't be that way either. Uh, to be in a position to offer the ability for someone to teach the word of God on behalf of your church is also to sort of accept the responsibility to, to probably hold off on offering it until someone has been properly vetted. Uh, we should not just let anybody teach the word of God. So it's sometimes offered too lightly. Also, it's accepted <laughs> too lightly. Uh, too many people are just super eager to have the ability to get up in front of a lot of people and have their, give their influence, give their word, be boisterous about the word of God. Too many people are just way, way too eager to do that. And we should all sort of keep in mind what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. I'll read that one. The second part of that verse, it says, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to, to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. To be a teacher of the word of God is to take on a great responsibility. And those who uh, take on that responsibility need to make sure that they do so uh, having given it all the thought that it deserves. I'll be honest with you guys. When I was given the opportunity now, I'll say I was given the opportunity. It was my idea. Like I kind of pushed it. I'll just be honest with you. But when I, when Chris was okay with me doing this, uh, even before I even brought it up to Chris as an idea to do this study, I agonized over it. it I, I mentioned a little bit of our story in the first week, but uh, between we left our other church and then the pandemic hit. And, and so it's been online church for us uh, for over, a, I think we're at it almost at a year. I won't say over a year, but it's been almost a year since it's been online church. And when we, and, and, but it has been over a year since we left our other church. And that was the point where I had stopped teaching. That was about a year ago was the time that I had stopped teaching. So I had been out without teaching for over a year and I'm just at home. I haven't even had the chance to like, hold my wife's hand and worship in a church in, in a very, very long time. And so I had to do some big soul searching to be like, you know, are you in the right frame of mind to be able to even teach the word of God? And, and Heidi will tell you that I'm somebody who questions everything that I do. And uh, I went back and forth with her a million times on whether or not I should be even doing this to make sure I'm in the right place spiritually to accept what I take as a great responsibility to teach the word of God. And so not everybody should be a teacher. It should not be offered lightly and it should not be accepted lightly. Um, and what we get in the rest of the verse here, again, I'll, I'll read it because I've kind of been babbling here, but it says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. What we get here in the sort of second portion is, is a really good, um, sort of measuring stick, the ability to not stumble in word is a good measuring stick for should you be a teacher. Now, when I say stumble, I am not talking about um, <laughs> ums <laughs> and repetition and being an eloquent speaker, because if that is the measuring stick, then I have no business teaching the word of God. 
I told Heidi, it's been a long time. And when I first got a chance to listen back, uh, you just hear all of the verbal ticks that you do as a, as a speaker. And I just, I'm so embarrassed. So as I bring them up, I'm, I'm glad that you guys will be listening to them as well. But when I say have the ability to not stumble in the word, I am not talking about actually physically stumbling over our words. Praise the Lord that that is not a qualification to be able to teach. What I mean by stumbling over the word, the, the Greek word stumble there implies not a fatal fall, but something that trips us up or hinders our spiritual progress. And so the ability to not stumble in the word is a really good measuring stick on whether or not you should be a teacher. And, and what you'll get tonight, probably more than the last two nights, maybe more than the next couple uh, is I have some quotes from some Bible teachers that th there's some really re rich texts that we're going to go over tonight. And so you'll get a few quotes from me tonight uh, on a couple of different Bible teachers. One of the ones that I use for a lot of stuff is David Guzik. And, and on this particular section, he, he talks about stumbling in the word and he, he gives it two different options. He says, stumbling, we can stumble in the word about ourselves and when we stumble in the word about ourselves, it looks like boasting, exaggeration, selective reporting. If you see people, that's how they speak. That's their demeanor. It's boasting. It's exaggerating. It's braggadocious, selective in the things that they say, not sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, out in the open. It seems like they're hiding something. That's the, That's not a good teacher. That's not somebody you should want as a teacher. The other side of that is we can stumble in the word about others. This sounds like criticism, gossip, slander, cruelty, two-facedness, anger, flattery, insincere words meant to gain favor. If you hear somebody who speaks in those ways, that's probably not a good teacher either. Unfortunately, we probably see too many given the opportunity to teach who show a lot of those things. And, and so as a teacher, we should try to stay away from those things because that's a good measuring stick on whether or not we should be teaching even in the first place. All right, that takes us to verse three. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile or creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. It's a mouthful. One out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water 
and fresh. So I mentioned last week on the here's what to do for next week uh, portion that um, the, the, the thing to think about as you're reading this section is, have you ever said something you wish you, you, you didn't say, uh, or you wish you could kind of, once it comes out of your mouth, you wish you could grab it and sort of pull it, <laughs> pull it right back as if it was never said, because this section speaks highly of the damage that our tongue can do the words that we say. So I have, uh, for this section titled, uh, if you can't if you can't say something nice, which is, you know, that old axiom uh, from most of our moms, if you can't say something nice, don't, don't say it at all. So the words that we say, uh, number one, uh, what you say has a, a lasting effect. What you say has lasting effects on the world at large. James compares what we say to a bridal that we would put in a horse's mouth, a, a rudder and a spark, three small things that have immense impact. Another Bible commenter, uh, Donald Burdick on this section says, in the two former illustrations, animals and ships, they're controlled by small objects. In the last illustration, a huge forest fire is destroyed by a tiny spark. The tongue likewise can either control or destroy. So we see sort of the, the gambit that our words can have, our tongue can have on the outside world. And notice nowhere in what we read from James does it say, unless it's said when you're anger or in the heat of, mo of the moment. <laughs> There's no caveat there that words are, are not destructive if you don't really mean it when you say it, you just sort of say it. That, that unfortunately, uh, for us is not the caveat that God gives us. The next thing here to mention is that, like a fire, words have the ability to become a blaze very quickly. Like a fire, words have the ability to become a blaze very quickly. As an Arizonan, I'm very thankful for this reference in the Bible. You know, I'm not some, I know I live in Buckeye, but I'm not like the most ag agrarian person. I, I grew up in the ghetto. Like we, you know, didn't have, there was no grass like anywhere in my neighborhood. Um, there was definitely no fields. And until I got out here to Buckeye, I didn't know that people just like lived with that smell. Like that was just a normal thing that people lived with all the time. That was, that was not something I, was aware of. So most of the, most of Jesus's, most of, of, uh, most of Jesus's examples, most of the examples that are given to us in the Bible, the metaphors are agrarian in nature. That's because they were speaking to an agrarian society. Uh, so I'm very thankful for this because as an Arizonan, I understand how a small fire can light up a huge forest fire because we deal with that all the time, every year, my whole life is all I've known is Smokey the Bear, like over my shoulder. If it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. So um, those those are things that that really speak to me. And so I really want to talk about this uh, for a few moments here. There, there are really two things that we know about a blaze. And number one is once it started, 
it's easier and easier for it to grow. Once a fire has started, it can build easier and easier. The, the point that I'm trying to make there is that the same thing happens with the words that we speak. If, if we allow ourselves even just a small opportunity to start speaking bad towards our kids, to, to say negative things to our kids, call them negative words, those become easier and easier to do. The same thing happens with your spouse. I got to be honest, I'm appalled with the way that some people talk to their spouses. That's just some people have normal discourse and their normal discourse with their spouse sounds like uh, they would like to hide the other in a shed or something. I don't know what the normal discourse of it sounds like and the names that people are comfortable with with calling their spouses. Now, I may not be comfortable with it just because I might be you know, a little scared uh, to call my spouse, anything close to that, but, uh, okay. A lot of scared. Um, <laughs> but the, once you, once you say it, once you call your significant other, that word that you shouldn't be calling your significant other, it just becomes a lot easier to say it in the future. The next time you get in an argument and the next time you get in an argument. And then before too long, that becomes their identity. Uh, or what they hear coming from you starts to become, I don't want to say a self, it's not a a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's more like they think that you think that they are that. And and the more often that they hear that come out of your mouth, uh, it just becomes easier and easier. Same thing with the way that people talk to their kids. Like, you know, I've heard parents, you know, call their kids dumb or call them names. Those, those things last. Those are why therapists make so much money, right? Those words uh, are the reason why therapists make so much words because they, they, they really have a, a sticking, a way of sticking in somebody's psyche. And that really brings me to point two. So number one, like a blaze, once it starts, it can go quick, quick, quick and grow and grow and grow. And it's easier and easier for that to happen. Number two, it can have irreparable harm, irreparable better let's use the word actually irreparable harm um Heidi and I took a trip our only trip in in quarantine uh thus far was to California we went in September and it was sort of amazing did anybody make a trip this summer to California and see the wildfires that were happening this past summer I've made that trip from Phoenix to LA some version of LA you know LA is so huge but some version of LA I've made that trip I don't know. I've lived in Arizona basically my whole life, probably at least an average of once a year. So let's say 30, 30 to 35 different times I've made that trip. I've never gone where they've had these wildfires at in such a such a huge amount of fires happening where you can see it from the freeway. You can you can you can see the the skyline is an orange glow. It was sort of amazing to see, but you see the damage that those wildfires caused and you understand it's going to take years to build that stuff back up from the damage that it causes. Words can be the same way. Uh, You can always remember what that one person said to you and it can destroy a relationship, whether that's a parent child relationship, whether it's a spouse relationship, whether it's a friend or a coworker, 
the words are the things that sort of stick with you and have the ability to destroy and break down, but also the ability to lift up. And, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about here in just a second. But it's, it's really comparing the difference. So Proverbs has kind of a, a back and forth on the power of words. So uh, who had Proverbs 18, 21? It was Noah. Was that Noah? Or Cat? No, it was Cat. Cat, will you unmute and read that for us? All right. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then compare that kind of to Proverbs 16, 24, which that one was Noah. Can you unmute and read that for us real quick? Um, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Gosh, when you read those Proverbs, right? It's a honeycombs. We don't think about honeycombs enough unless it's the cereal, I guess, but a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul. Uh, words have this sort of teeter-totter uh, ideal to them. Um, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just, just one more second. Um, the next point that I have here is, uh, and kind of talking about sort of this back and forth is, and I know this is kind of a more of a headline, so I'll explain, but uh, don't be a TikTok um, is, is what I have here. It, the, the scripture that we just read, and, and I'll read it again here uh, real quick. Uh, it says in verse 10, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We have the ability with our words to praise our God, to tell him how good he is, to thank him for every blessing that he's given us, to, to lift him up and exalt him. And then we would use the same vessel to sort of break down uh, mankind as well, to yell, to, 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 to make somebody feel bad, to, to start a wildfire in somebody's life. And so it says, out of the same mouth, blessings and cursings come. It really should not be that way. And the reason I have here, don't be a TikTok. One of the most disheartening things I think I saw in the last year are TikTok's uh, viral videos, internet videos, pieced, where, where people take and piece together uh, some version of a Christian worshiping on a Sunday and then piece that with like during the week, some video of them uh, verbally assaulting somebody in like a CVS, you know, or something to that effect. And, and those are, are easy to find. They're easy to laugh at on the internet, but it should be our goal to not have that be the case, right? To, to, to live our lives in such a way where it's just one thing coming out, right? You don't, you don't get your drinking water. You don't want to drink your drinking water from the same pipe as your toilet water, right? Like it's, it, there, there should be two, two different things. And, and so if we're going to use our words to praise God, we should not also use our words to tear people down. All right. And then we're making really good. No, I guess we're not making as good time as I thought, but we're making okay time uh, this week. Uh, last section here, uh, James uh, 3, 13 through 18, the last few verses. Yeah, I even thought about doing two chapters this week, and I'm glad that I, I had some restraint. But uh, <laughs> 13 through 18, who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you are, have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every little thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of, the, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So for this next section, um, there's, there's sort of this dichotomy that James goes through that wisdom can come from different sources. I think everybody sort of has the uh, desire to be wise, to take on wisdom, but we need to be aware as Christians that somebody who is trying to espound wisdom may not be getting that wisdom from God. It may not be heavenly wisdom. It may be just earthly wisdom. And that is something that can be dangerous and something that we need to look out for. So the first thing that I wanted to say about that is that wisdom begets good conduct. I'll read verse 13 again. It says, when I can find it here, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Has anybody ever been accused of just being book smart? Um, I got that a lot as a kid. I was a pretty good student, but my brother specifically, he would come down on me all the time because I was a pretty good student. I got good grades. Um, he, he didn't. And so he would get on me when he would say, man, you're book smart, but you just don't know have any uh, uh, real life smarts. And, and it would be because I'd, you know, do the dishes wrong or I'd, I'd do the yard work the hard way instead of, you know, the more efficient way, you know, that stuff that comes with, you know, kind of experience and knowing stuff, you know, as a kid. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the idea that we're talking about here is that wisdom should lead to good con conduct, uh, real wisdom, like takes that important knowledge and actually turns it into action and good conduct itself uh, looks like meekness, uh, as it says here, not like a look at me stuff. So the conduct that we're showing should never be stuff done sort of boastful. It should be done in meekness. Uh, Donald Burdick, another uh, uh, Bible scholar said, this is, this is uh, when it talks about meekness, this is gentleness, but not a passive gentleness growing out of weakness or resignation. It's an active attitude of deliberate acceptance. I love that definition of, of, of meekness. It's an active attitude of deliberate expenses, uh, acceptance, excuse me. And the reason I love that, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking about, is there anybody in the world more dangerous to fight than the person who doesn't want to fight you for fear of what they could do to you? That's a dangerous person to fight. You don't want to fight the guy who doesn't want to fight you at all. Uh, because he's afraid of how bad he'll hurt you. That is, that's somebody you just don't want to mess with on the scale of guys that you don't want to mess with. He's like right there under like Andre, the giant, you know, the huge, huge guys. Right. But like those guys, you just really don't want to mess with that. And that's the idea behind meekness. It's not sort of this, like, you know, gentleness and, and being passive and stuff. It's, it's 
I know that living inside of me is what can biblically, biblically speaking, can overcome the world. I know that's inside of me, but I'm deciding to still live in God's will, even though I have uh, God, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead living inside of me. I'm still going to decide to live in God's will. That's, that's the type of um, meekness that we're talking about there. And so then that brings us to this, this sort of back and forth between earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. And we'll spend our last few moments here talking about the differences that are mentioned here in scripture. There is and always has been people who attempt to spout wisdom in the name of God. But not everybody is giving you godly wisdom. Not everyone who represents a church, not everybody who has the name pastor in their name, not even even not even everything that a trusted pastor necessarily says is considered godly wisdom. We have to be discerning on that as we go through our lives. If we hear people speaking in the name of God, we have to be discerning on whether or not what they're speaking is godly wisdom or earthly wisdom. And it's really, really important that we only follow the godly wisdom. This is up to us to discern. It's, um, you know, since, since we are all sinners, we have to constantly guard uh, against presenting earthly wisdom as godly wisdom. It's, it's really important for churches and teachers who have pulpits um, that, that kind of extend into sort of even mainstream public. But it's equally important for any Christian one-on-one with anybody. If you're, you know, helping out a friend and giving them what you say, what you're, what you're sort of disguising as godly advice, but it's coming from an earthly place, that's a dangerous thing. And we have to be very, very careful of that. So here, what we have here at the end of, of James chapter three are some uh, helpful tools to help us identify what is earthly wisdom. Now, the first thing that's listed as earthly wisdom is this idea of bitter envy. The scripture tells us bitter envy is the first sort of describer of earthly wisdom. That bitter envy, that word, it's actually not a great definition. The, the Greek word there is zelos, zelos, which is where we get our word zeal. Zeal in or behalf on behalf uh, for something. It's a fierceness of indignation. So earthly wisdom looks like seal, indignation, um, zeal on behalf of something or for something. That's, that's one of the, the listing there. The second one is self-seeking. Self-seeking is the Greek word erethia, and that means electioneering, or I'm just reading this straight off of a concordance, electioneering or intriguing for office, partisanship, fractiousness. So these are the two things that are listed. Hi, Hannah. These are the two things that are listed as these are examples of what earthly wisdom looks like and stuff that we should stay away from. Bible commentator James Moffat on this particular section said this, do not pride yourself on that, on those two things, on the intensity and harsh zeal, which lead to such unscrupulous partisanship, which are sometimes justified as loyalty to the truth. Religious people may be extremely provoking and defeat their own ends by overbearing methods. Right views and sound counsels may lose their effect 
if they are expressed by men who are self-seeking partisans or unscrupulous controversialists. This is coming from an 18th century Bible teacher. So, uh, but I think it's very poignant for the world that we live in today. I'll be honest with you guys. It's scriptures like this that make me wonder if we should have our faith a part of earthly politics at all. Uh, These scriptures make you feel like using your faith to get votes is sort of counter to what Jesus would tell us is wisdom and how we should be using wisdom. Uh, these, these types of scriptures really make me think the world that we live in today and what James essentially says, stay away from this. And we see a lot of this in our world today. Well, let's get past that and let's talk about heavenly wisdom. And I have this super cute heavenly cloud of godly wisdom. And so let's fill up the cloud of godly wisdom and let's talk about what that looks like. So there's there's a bunch of different things. I think there's eight different things that are listed here in these last few scriptures that James talks about as this is, if you see this, if your wisdom looks like this, you can tell that this is heavenly wisdom. This is godly wisdom. And this is the stuff that you should be listening to. So number one, the first one, uh, it's pure. And this is, I know when we hear purity in the church, like the first thing we go to is like sexual purity, but that's not what James is necessarily getting at here when he says pure, he's really talking more of pure of sin or like the attitude of sin, sinfulness as a whole. So wisdom. uh, So if your wisdom is coming through and you can tell that the wisdom is going to lead directly to sin or has a, has a sort of a laissez uh, attitude towards sin, it's probably not godly wisdom. The second thing is that it is peaceable. This is really cool. This word that's used here uh, for peaceable In the Septuagint, which uh, for our Bible philosophers, the Septuagint is the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew. So Greek is is basically where we get all of our translations. Everything was basically every translation that we have currently, every modern translation of the Bible came from Greek translations. And the Septuagint was the Greek translation from the original Hebrew. So in uh, the Septuagint, this word peaceable is, is used often and often to describe how uh, God acted as king. Peaceable is how God would act in his role as king. A beautiful sort of word picture there. The next thing that looks like godly wisdom is that it's gentle. This is the idea of, of knowing how to deal with someone in the wrong but not like in an overbearing way, but gentle. This is, the church struggles with this a lot. We, we don't, not essentially condemning people. Sure, people may be outside of the, the worldview of God, but, but true godly wisdom, the ability to counsel those people is done in a way that's gentle and not overbearing and not sort of coming, coming over people. It's sort of taking that step back Uh, for the sake of the person. The next one is willing to yield. I guess I got to push the button. Willing to yield is the next one that that is an aspect of godly wisdom. Willing to yield, that that term, uh, William Barclay said this about that term. It It can mean easy to persuade, not in the sense of being pliable and weak, but in the sense of not being stubborn and of being willing to listen to reason and to appeal, uh, to appeal. True wisdom is not rigid, 
but is willing to listen and skilled in knowing when wisely to yield. The Bible tells us that the only thing that we should not be willing to yield on is that Jesus is the only, only way to heaven. That's sort of the only thing that is, uh, it has to be that way. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to heaven, but everything else should be a discussion. Shouldn't be rigid. Like we just talked about, there should be the willingness to listen and reason and to appeal. And I know when I say that, there's going to, there are those that would say, well, hang on though. Sin is sin. The Bible shows us what's a sin. And we need to understand that sin is sin. And that is true. But we have some scripture that I want you to read this last one. Uh, Second Timothy chapter two, verse 24 through 26. Lindsay, would you read that for us real quick? And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So here we have Paul sort of echoing what, what James is talking about here. This idea of being willing to yield is to be speaking to people uh, about their sin, but to be gentle with it, to help them understand, because if you notice what Lindsay just read for us, there's two things that are really, really important when it comes to people repenting from sin. Number one, it says, if God grants them repentance. And then number two, it says, if they come to their senses. Do you know who's not involved in the, in the equation when it says God and they? Uh, you. You're not involved in that equation. Whether or not somebody repents of their sins has nothing to do with you. So why our, 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 our mission in that end, according to James and according to Paul and according to the word of God is to just keep the conversation open, to be listening, to help, to encourage, to explain, to exhort, to, to, to keep that conversation going, not to be so hard bound on what we want to hold on to that nobody even wants to listen to us anymore. And that gets shut down so that people aren't even given the opportunity to have this opportunity with God and themselves and, and, and get out of the sin that may be in their life. Willing to yield here. Just a couple more because we are almost out of time. Full of mercy. If anything out of this, when we're talking about godly wisdom, makes sense this makes sense right if you're if you're reading the bible there is one huge theme of the bible right and that is mercy people not getting what they deserve that's just like the bible in the nutshell that's 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 us we are not getting what we actually deserve because god gave us jesus christ and so godly wisdom should look the same way just because somebody may deserve something doesn't mean they have to get it wisdom uh, godly wisdom should be dripping with mercy. Uh, the next couple of things here, full of good fruits, full of good fruits. I'll, I'll take you back to verse 12. It says, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape tree bear figs? Uh, if you don't know the answer to that, the answer is no. Um, if you're not <laughs> like a tree person, uh, the answer is no. Those things can't grow those opposite fruits J in the same way godly wisdom should produce the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control. Those, those are things that you should see coming and being pushed by 
godly wisdom. Uh, without partiality, here's a call back to last week and the sin that is partiality. And finally, without hypocrisy. This is the idea. <clears throat> Oops. This is the idea that um, stop. It shouldn't, you shouldn't see somebody pretending to be something that they're not saying that they're a follower of Christ, but living your life in a way where it's clear to everyone that you're not holding up a Bible as a shield to everyone for your bad behavior. This is not what godly wisdom looks like. We should be uh, open and honest with who we are and the information uh, that we're giving and that we are receiving. And that is, uh, is it. Let me pray and we will close. I'm really excited about our next week on. So hold on to your hats for just, just one more moment. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the challenge that is your word. Thank you for allowing us to just sort of dig deep into it to get the, 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 the messages that you're giving us. Father, I, I just ask that in spite of me, Holy Spirit, will you teach your people through the word that you've given us tonight in Jesus name. Amen. All right, we are going to try to do two chapters next week. So read uh, chapter four and five. They're very short chapters, like less than 20 verses each. And while you read, here's one of my favorite questions of the whole study. Can you find, search it out, can you find the theme that is in this passage that was just completely stolen by the writers of Spider-Man? There is a theme in these two chapters that Spider-Man just completely ripped off when they wrote uh, their their comic book uh, story. So that is that is for next week. And uh, and that is it. Uh, again, like always, I'll be on here for just a, a couple more minutes. If you have any questions or need anything, reach out to us. We have the prayer room open. Thank you so much uh, for coming out this week. And uh, we'll see you next week.